Hello, everyone. Here with Everald Compton, as always, this is old Everald and young James talk politics. And Everald has informed me he would like to conduct a thorough cross-examination um, of me as regards voice. Um, before the show, we always have a little two, three-minute chat about what we're going to talk about. Um, and Everald said today he wants to put me to the sword. So um, over to you, big man. Well, well, James, may I do this with uh, great goodwill? And I must say that if you give me the right answers, I could well buy you a whiskey one day. I mean, that could be a possibility. But now, now James, let, let's presume for the purposes of this exercise that voice is going to lose. It looks very much as if it will. Things can change. Nothing is uh, weeks a long time in politics. But now, if it fails, let's look at the political fallout to a number of, of, of sources. What will be the political fallout for Albo as the Prime Minister, for Linda Burney as the Minister in Charge of Voice in the Government, and for Peter Dutton? But say on the night after the referendum loses, what's the fallout for those three people? Let's start with Albo. Albo's obviously put his head on the block with this. Uh, what will happen to him if it loses? Uh, the, the first thing I'll say is, of course, uh, we are doing everything we can to help ensure voice wins, and we are fully and thoroughly backing. We do. We are. We are going to. Yep. Um, I think the if, looking at the polls, um, not the voice polls, the opinion polls of the leaders, it may be seen that Albo's honeymoon period is over. Albeit, I don't think it's because of the struggles voice is facing that it's over. I think it's because of other things like cost of living and marrying himself so closely to Alan Joyce and Qantas and some other flubs like that, which have been causing Albo's drop in the polls at the moment. Um, I think it will be hugely disappointing um, for Albo if Voice loses. And I mean, I know we're jumping ahead a bit to talking about Peter Dutton and Linda Burney here, but a couple of weeks ago, I think it was the AFR did an article where they spoke to some senior Liberal figures under the condition of anonymity and they basically all but admitted the Liberal Party's opposition to The Voice is all about scoring a win over Albo. It's not about constitutional conservatism. Right, so you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's, it's all it's, about knocking Albo for six. It's, it's not about concerns about divisiveness or a race-neutral constitution, which it already isn't because in Section 51 there is a power that allows you to make laws explicitly on the basis of race already, putting that to one side. Um, it's it's not about any of those things that no campaign puts forward. It is 110% absolutely all about scoring a political win over Albo. Um, and those have been until recent weeks where, again, regarding, say, closeness with Qantas, Albo's put his foot in it a bit. Uh, those have been very, very hard to come by. So uh, it, it will look like a big loss for Albo. But I think it's easy for well, us to well, talk let me, about. Let me just... Let me do that before we move to Linda Burney and, and, and Peter Dutton. It will hit Albo politically. I don't think it's going to be a mortal blow, but it, it will be a significant blow. And, and uh, if the next election looks tight, rumblings will start. Now, I don't think the Labor Party is going back to the Rudd uh, Gillard era of knocking people off. Uh, but uh, he, he, Albo, up until a few months ago, was having a good, as good a dream run as the Prime Minister as I've seen. And in the last few months, the wheels have come off a bit, not necessarily for his, because he's made blunders, but that's the way the cards have fallen. So I think there'll be, uh, you know, a hit for him. Uh, uh, Linda Burney, uh, 
will probably have no option but to resign as the Minister for Indigenous Affairs because I think, uh, uh, you know, she has put her heart and soul into this. Uh, she is a, uh, uh, you know, a quiet, peaceful person. I have very high personal regard for her, but I think this has taken an enormous toll on her and it's starting to look at it. And I think uh, she might decide to ride off into the sunset. I wouldn't put it so highly as to say she'd have no choice but to resign. I, I certainly think if if you're right and, like you say, that the whole campaign has taken it out of it too much, she might be minded to choose to do so. But I, I don't think it would be a case if she'd have no choice but to. Like, she's probably our most qualified Minister for Indigenous Affairs we've had in a long time. Um, she's, you know, she's And the been, most committed, she's yeah. enormously committed, but she's not a rough, tough kill a politician that walks over dead bodies. I mean, I mean she is a, hmm. you know, she, she is a reasonable soul, in, you know, in you know, no. in that regard. Well, let's come uh, to, to Peter Dutton. Uh, now, the, the, what will happen to Peter Dutton the day after the poll, if, 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 if no wins? What will happen? What, what will Dutton's future be? This is partly riffing off what you were just, what we said about Albo, where the whole purpose of opposing voice is to, get a win against Albo and kick a goal against Albo. But if you look at the electoral math and the electoral maps for the Liberals to return to power, um, they need to win the teal seats back. This opposition to voice will not be doing the Liberals any favours in the teal seats. This style of politics that the Liberals have descended into during this campaign has been exactly the type of campaigning and politics that the teal seats hated Scott Morrison and his version of the Liberal Party for. Uh, this racist, divisive, um, white man against everyone else style politics, which is at the heart of the no campaign, um, is exactly what the, the teal voters found a turnoff of Scott Morrison's Liberals. So I think it might be a bit of a Pyrrhic victory for Peter Dutton in that sense, whereby, sure, him and his no team win the polls. But in terms of any lasting substantial benefit he gets from that, it really only panders to the base of people who would already be voting for a Peter Dutton Liberal Party. And it doesn't really do anything to expand his tent. Or because Peter Dutton's biggest issue right now is that people think he's got no tact, no class, he's a thug, he's a racist, etc. Um, this no campaign is doing nothing to dispel those myths. It's only helping big him up with the people who see all those things and already think, yeah, that's great, that's awesome. Um, well, let me let me give a bit of a pragmatic, old pragmatic politics. I don't think the win is going to do Peter Dutton any good. I think if people decide not to vote for Albo and his team because of this, they say, well, they've led us into a fiasco. They will vote Teal before they will vote LNP and Peter Dutton. I believe the Teals will, and Green, they'll vote Green. You know, I don't think any political benefit whatsoever will flow to Dutton other than he'll feel good at night saying, well, well I gave a king hit to Albo. I think there's a possibility that I don't believe the Teals will lose any seats at the next election. And I think there's a possibility they'll pick up uh, some more. And there's some independents running in various places who aren't teals at all. 
And so I, I, I want to say that I, I think the political benefit to Peter Dutton will be nil. Am I right or wrong? No, I, I think you're entirely right. I'm seeing some articles out there claiming that the model that the Liberals are trying to use to get into power is essentially the same model as last time, whereby they plunge Labor into minority government at the next election. And then the election after that, say, look, Labor, Green, Teal, Chaos, rah, 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 and kick up a big stink about that and get back into power that way. Um, the problem is for that, like you say, um, it seems like the Teal voters love their members who have been doing a great job representing what their voters want. They've been working hard and well and smart, in my view. Yes, 110%. And over and above that, Again, the, the, the thuggery and the racism and the viciousness and the anger, just the seething, white-hot, unbridled uh, Anglo-Australian angst, the, the John Howard era angst from this No campaign is exactly the sort of undercurrents that were in Scott Morrison's Liberal Party that caused people to vote Teal in the first place in those seats. And I don't think this No campaign has done Peter Dutton any favours in winning back those voters who are uncomfortable right. with the thuggery of the Morrison government and are seeing no different from this iteration. Okay, well, now let's move from the three pollies to the main advocates uh, for uh, for voice. Uh, we've got uh, Marcia Lang Langton, uh, Noel uh, Pearson, Jacinta Price, and, and uh, no, not Jacinta Price, uh, Noel Pearson, uh, Megan Davis and Thomas Mayo are the main ones. <laughs> are they going to get the blame from their own people? Will their own people say, look, you mob stuffed this up with a, a crook campaign? And they haven't run a good campaign, which is one of the reasons why this is in this. Uh, they haven't convinced individual white voters, put white in inverted commas, individual white voters, that this is going to help. And they say it's good for Australia, but they haven't said to Granny Smith, how does this make your life better? And that's one. So will they become fallen idols in the Indigenous world, those four? I, I don't think so. I think they've done everything they could. I think um, a, a big part of why, like we talked about on the show last week, I think a big part of why the, uh, you know, the, the Yes campaign has failed is um, not necessarily at their feet. And a lot of it's the willful ignorance of the public. Uh, that can be seen in the if you don't know, vote no slogan. If if you're proud to say if you don't know, vote no, what you're essentially saying is I'm a giant moron who can't read and I'm not bothered to find out how to. Um, like that. that's that's what if you don't know, vote no says. And I mean, when you're up against something like that, when you're up against so many people willfully shutting their eyes and ears to the benefits that voice can bring and choosing to live in ignorance and fear rather than take the steps to find out um, where the players lie. I think it, it's hard to ascribe too much blame to people like Marcia Langton and Thomas Mayo and Noel Pearson and Megan Davis on that front. I, I, I think they'll take a, 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 a bit of a, a king hit, you know, from the, I, I don't rejoice in that. I, when and something fails, the general tendency of the world is to find out who we're going to blame uh, yeah. you know, for the whole thing. You see, they failed to connect with these voters you're talking about who are quite happy to pick up every little thing and, 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 and uh, run with it. Uh, 
let's take the 2019 election. I mean, you and I have discussed this in the past. Bill Shorten had 150 policies in a book, and I read them all. In all my years in politics, I've never seen a, a better list of them. One or two where you couldn't need an improvement, but enormous work went in 150 policies which have transformed Australia. All Morrison did was get up and say, this bloke, uh, uh, Shorten, you can't trust him. He's going to pinch your dough. He's going to pinch your franking credit, and he's going to stop you getting your... Uh, your property um, gains and, you know, and, uh, and negative gearing, he can take it off you. And he won by saying that rubbish, and Bill Shorten lost after years of preparing 150 years. Those people around who were worried about losing their franking credits are the same people yes. as in this. Am I absolutely. right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think I said this last week that it's like, you know, that that group of people you named, Thomas Mayer and Noel Pierce and Professor Megan Davis and um, Professor Marcia Langton, they're not the yeah, first Marcia, group. Marcia Langton, yeah. They're, they're not the first group of people to come up against this hateful campaign of apathy. Like you say, Bill Shorten fought against it and Morrison beat him. We had successive generations of Labor leaders go up against Howard, who was running from the same label. And until Howard got greedy with work choices, he knocked down all comers. So I think that we are yet to see, um, barring exceptional circumstances like the 2022 election, anyone have been able in this country's history to defeat that style of campaign. And I think really what that should lead to is a lot of soul searching in this. It won't. It absolutely won't. But it should lead to a lot of soul-searching in this country as to why we are so vulnerable as a society to such greedy, personal, individualistic, um, us-against-them campaigning. Well, let me ask you another person. Just say you're Albo. Now, first of all, you don't look like Albo, but let's, let's say you're Albo. The day after the election, it's crashed around your ears. The day after the referendum, rather, it's crashed around your ears. What do you do then? You've, you've got a, a, an Indigenous population disillusion. You've got the rest of the population about now who I think a lot of them after it's over aren't going to feel terribly proud of themselves. Now, what uh, would you do? Because this thing's not going to go away. If we knock this back, all we're doing is kicking the can down the road and telling our grandkids, well, we, we didn't have the guts to fix it. We were frightened. We hope you're less frightened than you're going to fix it. You know, so... so what, what what do you do the day after the election to get this fiasco out of the dust? I think the best thing you could probably do the day after is to immediately get on the front foot with reconciliation and closing the gap. Um, a referendum goes down the day after. You've got to be able to announce something, um, some, some policy or some program um, to keep reconciliation moving forward. Uh, we, we cannot let a repudiation of voice, if it happens, like you say, it's just kicking the can down the road. The life expectancy of Indigenous Australians is eight years less than non-Indigenous Australians. It's not like if no wins, we're going to wake up on Sunday and every Aboriginal person is going to live eight years longer. These health inequities, socioeconomic inequities, criminal justice system inequities, uh, land inequities, water access inequities, they will all persist. And the best thing to do in the event that the referendum fails would be for Albo to say, well, 
right? Like, I'm sorry, you know, to, to solemnly throw his hands up and say, I am in part responsible for this. I put this referendum up and it went down, but that's not going to stop us from kicking goals for Indigenous people and kicking goals for closing the gap. And here's our plan to close the gap. Um, and if Peter Dutton wants to stand in our way, then so be it, sort of thing. Well, James, let me tell you what I'd do. I, I would call together as many leaders of the First Nations as I could and say, you get out to get your lawyers to form a, a, an organisation, a legal organisation within the framework of not-for-profit organisations in the country, set up a legal entity called Voice. Uh, you uh, ask people who supported you in the campaign to give you some funding and you ask the Electoral Commission to hold an election for you where you're going to pick 25 people to be the governing body of voice. And then you then come to parliaments anywhere. This becomes your forum that you create as First Nations. After all, you never ever ceded your land. You set up your own parliament. And if you apply to the government, I'll give you some money as well. And you just not an advisory body. You can get out there and try and do things. You can form an alliance with mining companies, with, with banks, with anything you want to for the betterment of your people. I'd set up your own voice and let it go. Now, what do you think of that? I like it. And, I mean, when people talk about how if we, whether it be legislated in the Constitution or whatever, our voice would privilege one group of people over another because it would give Indigenous people special rights of advisory. That's simply not true. Um, Rio Tinto has a voice to Parliament. Uh, Qantas has a voice to Parliament. The big banks have voices to Parliament. The police have voices to Parliament. Everald Compton has a voice to Parliament. You go down there and give your say two, three, four times a year. Um, you know, there are like a billionaires. Clive Palmer, he has a very loud voice to Parliament. Um, Indigenous people, to recognise a constitutional voice, they would not be the first nor the last group who gets a say on Capitol Hill. In fact, they would be a group who probably should have been having a say on Capitol Hill for the last 122 years of Federation, and it's come 122 years too late. And, and there's a model to follow. We better move on in a minute to something else. We, uh, in America, when Martin Luther King ran his great crusade, he got there because African Americans had set up an enormous organization called NCAAP. Don't ask what it stood for, but it was a body they set up, like I'm talking about here, run by a fellow called Ralph Abernathy, who was a, a, a mate of, of King. And they lobbied forever about all the things that were needed and they weren't beholden to Congress, but Congress got to know that they defied NCAAP at their risk. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's a role model that could be followed. No, uh, the National Association for the Advancement of Coloured Peoples, I believe it stands for. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there, yeah. There's a trivial okay. question answer for you. But, um, yeah, no, I, I think you're entirely right. I think you're 110% right because... Voices to Parliament is not a new concept. And again, business and lobby groups and religious groups and private groups and other groups have had voices to Parliament for as long as time. And it is long overdue that Indigenous Australians have one as well.
what transport situation you got. Can we have a situation where you can go to any bus stop or train station in Sydney, for argument's sake, and they guarantee you never have to wait more than five minutes for something to turn up? Uh, so in a subsequent uh, uh, talk, James, we'll get into that. There's big social issues involved in this, aren't there? Oh, can I just foreshadow the answer is absolutely you have to build up and with public transport links. You don't want massive American-style suburbs where you've got to drive two hours on a 10-lane highway and um, on in your big Ford truck to get to and from work. It's terrible for quality of life. Uh, it's terrible for the environment. Um, we have to go up. Um, but that's another discussion for a different day. I think it's probably time for our good guys and bad guys of the week, Ev, and uh, being the Democrat that yeah, I am. Yeah, well, 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 well it, 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 it's always hard to, uh, you know, well, you go first with your good guy of the week. I haven't seen too many uh, good guys this week. I've got a bad guy. You, you, you lead off, you might inspire me with something. Well, um, my, uh, my good guy of the week, uh, today is the first day of my cricket season. Um, so I'm going to say my good guy of the week is the Kellyville Supersonics, my cricket club. I'm just going to use the opportunity to, um, you know, wish the entire club luck. Um, it's an awesome club. We, this is our first year here and we felt very welcome. Uh, club's been great for us. So it's uh, going to be a big year for the Kellyville Supersonics, I hope, um, and glad to be a part of it, um, backing every team in the club. <laughs> well, well, can I look forward to the day when uh, when, when you might be a, um, a you know, a, a test cricketer, James? Uh, you cannot, Everald. I am a very irresponsible number six batsman who's more likely to be out swinging for the hills than stick around for a long time. But it's fun. Define, define the word responsible. Uh, irresponsible. Uh, I, no. <laughs> irresponsible. Oh, yeah. well, that's a, you, you play a few wild shots. Oh, well, that's, yeah. a, you, you know, that's, that, that, that's a good thing. Look, I, I honestly can't think of a good guy of the week that I want to give some uh, plaudits to. I'm sure there's, uh, you know, there's somebody uh, out there, but I, I'm a bit bereft. It's, it's been one of those weeks that made me feel a bit uh, uh, despondent, uh, you know, with all the, you know, the, the whole issue of the, the awful debate about voice that got me at the end of the week. I had to have a whiskey called Iniquity. There's a distillery in South Australia called the Iniquity with Distillery. And I, I looked at uh, the definition of iniquity and it says gross injustice or wickedness. And I thought that describes a few blokes in the no campaign. So I had a sip of, you know, Iniquity whiskey last night. So I'll skip the good guy. The bad guy of the week is Joe Biden's son. I can't think of his name. Hunter. Hunter. He's Hunter who's now been arrested, uh, you know, on a, some charges of making a, a wrong statement about buying guns, uh, which won't put him in jail for long. But he's had a record of trading on his father's uh, name and clout for a long time. There are still cases pending about some crook deals he did in Ukraine, basically because the Ukraine government, a different one to Yelensky, the previous government, a bit corrupt, thought Hunter Biden could... Uh, get access to his dad who was vice president at that time he's been up to scaldandry for a while and he's i think he's got a few problems with drugs and whatever and uh, i just think that's a typical example of uh, uh, people who've got a powerful parent who uh, who use it in some way or another didn't he, he doesn't impress me at all am i being hard on him 
I, I should say there's absolutely no evidence that Joe Biden himself is involved in any of this. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Dig, digging into the story, it, it really is just Hunter big noting himself to all these companies. And this is what happens, right? Like when Joe's vice president, Hunter goes for a job with some American company, he says, my dad's Joe Biden, so I can big note myself to all your investors. Company says red hot, we'll put you on the board. And then Hunter goes around to all these meetings and big notes himself to people saying, oh, my dad's Joe Biden, you want to do business with us, Huru. And on all the evidence, it doesn't extend beyond that at all. Um, if, if you listen to Fox News, they probably tell you it's the greatest conspiracy um, since long before Watergate, that it's it, it's a real nothing burger in terms of Joe. But like you say, it's it's just another classic case of people with rich and powerful parents trading on their parents' name and having a, yeah, you know. Well, true, but look, uh, right-wing media in America have been saying this is a big free kick for Donald Trump, where this Hunter Biden thing came out. Well, I would. <laughs> my feeling is that if somebody investigates Donald Trump's kids, uh, I don't know that they're going to find too much good about Donald Trump's kids, do you? Well, I was going to say Hunter Biden would probably be the least corrupt of all of the Trump children um, by <laughs> by half the straight. So, <laughs> um, yeah, one of those issues. Well. Who's your bad guy of the week, Dan? Um, So my bad guy of the week, and we didn't touch on this before, but my bad guy of the week is Jacinta Price um, for getting up today. Ah, uh, yeah, and, a good uh, one to finish on. A, a big I take it you're, you're never going to elope with a Jacinta Price. Is that right? Uh, that would be correct, Everald, um, to the shop. <laughs> well, tell me what you think of Jacinta. Tell me about um, it. Yeah, just uh, for, for those who don't know, she got up this week and claimed that sort of, there are no long-lasting effects of colonisation, um, which flies in the face both of all the academic research in the world and also the official stance of the High Court of Australia. Um, so she's going against some pretty big hitters in saying that, and I, uh, I think her credentials are she served as the Deputy Mayor of Alice Springs for about two weeks and then got parachuted into Parliament. So... <laughs> Look, it's it's just um, the, the thing with Jacinta Price is um, when she gets up and says stuff like this, it gives all the white racists cover to say the same things, which they've always long believed and always wanted to spread and say, but look, she said it too. Um, and so it's um, it, it's just a grim state of affairs, really. I mean, the, the long lasting effects of, of colonization and displacement are still felt today. I'd like Jacinta Price to explain perhaps why Indigenous people, again, live for eight years less than uh, white Australians, um, why they are incarcerated and criminalised at significantly higher rates than white Australians, why Indigenous youths kill themselves at two times the rate of non-Indigenous youths, um, unless she thinks these are all just coincidences or genetic predispositions, I would suggest that the long-lasting effects of colonisation, displacement, invasion and genocide probably have something to do with it. But I'm just uh, someone rambling on a podcast, so... <laughs> no, no, I don't think you're rambling on a podcast. Look, Jacinta Price, like Peter Dutton and like Warren Mundine, are playing for their political future. You might remember that Jacinta Price ran for a seat in the House of Reps for Northern Territory, and she lost. Uh, because, but... It's well known amongst all her friends, and this, this is the 
everyone around Parliament seems to accept it. Uh, when I go there and ask questions about her, everybody's quite happy to gossip about uh, Jacinda. She wants to be the first Indigenous Prime Minister uh, uh, of Australia. And she ran for the reps because you've got to be in the reps to be the Prime Minister. She lost. So they put her in the Senate so to get her started off. Now, she wants to run for the reps again at the next election, so she's in the lower house and on her pathway to the lodge. So all this is designed to give her maximum publicity uh, and, and uh, uh, to harness the right-wing vote behind her and what have you. So it, it's a personal thing. Now, now, you know, it's a similar thing with Warren Mundine who at one side point was on the side of yes and then moved to no. And it looks as if he may well get, unless they get embarrassed out of it, this vacant Senate spot. Uh, I think they promised it to him if he makes a big racket in the referendum. So I think both of them are, are, are on a political pathway that's got very little to do uh, with voice. Uh, I think you're entirely right. And I think um, with that thought, it's probably a good time to wrap up for the um, for the morning. Um, a good chat, as always, and I hope our listeners enjoy. Uh, we'll be back next week, um, a week close to referendum voting day, and hopefully um, with a yes uptick in the polls, which is what we'd love to see. Um, but, yeah, yeah, have a wonderful week, everyone, and uh, thanks for listening. Yeah, well, thank you, James. And you make a hundred. I'll put some money on Ladbrokes for you to make a century in that cricket match, mate. Uh, Talk to you next week. Uh, a, a, a non-deductible donation to British betting companies, <laughs> Everall. I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for now, everyone. Bye.